In Psalm 107, the psalmist has this great testimony about God that applies to us all and the way that we tend to experience trouble. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. While I was preparing for this message, I thought about the countless times that I've been on a boat. Uh, Most of you know that I'm from Florida. And when you live in Florida, people will often ask you to go boating. You see, Florida is to boating what Kansas is to, well, never mind. (laughs) There were friends who had a sailboat. The ones I remember the most, there's Blue Lou. While sailing on Blue Lou, I got to hoist the sail and swing the jib. If you've never been, sailing's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. And then there were friends who had a motorized boat, like my friend Mark, who has multiple 250 horsepower engines on the back. This thing zipped through the water, and I didn't have to lift a finger. And for those of you that are interested in boating, this is definitely the way to go. Then there are friends who say, hey, I've got an idea. Let's go drift boat fishing. One time, this turned out to be a terrible idea. I was in high school, and some friends in my youth group wanted to give this a try. And so, since I had never been, I thought, let's give it a shot. And drift boat fishing is where you pay a lot of money to get on a rusty, clunky boat that radiates the foul stench of diesel fumes and rotten fish. And the captain takes you two miles off the shore of Florida to sit around with a fishing pole in your hand. I was bored out of my mind. And if the boredom wasn't bad enough, a huge thunderstorm rolled in. It began raining. And the wind was blowing so hard, the waves were crashing on the side of the boats. And the boat was bobbing up and down, up and down. So now I'm getting seasick. Everyone else is having the time of their lives. But me? Well, I'm barfing off the side of the boat into the water. One guy yells, hey, this kid's chumming the waters. Let's put your poles in right next to him. Hoping to catch a fish. As I hung over the side, the ocean rose so high to meet my face, I could have kissed the waves. It was at this point when I cried out to the Lord, just like the psalmist. I said, get me off this hunk of junk. (laughs) And the point is, it's not fun when you're stuck in a storm. And the psalmist knew this to be true. And we'll see in just a, in a moment how the disciples discover this harsh reality. We're on a journey. And that's the title of our current message series. And we're learning the way of Jesus through the book of Mark. If you brought your Bibles, you want to open them up to chapter 4. And today we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 41. 
But before we dive in, I need to set the context and explain what's going on. Jesus is exhausted. He just spent the entire day teaching the multitudes. You see, at this point, word about Jesus is starting to get around. And these crowds want to be so close to Jesus, they pressed in all around him. And I can just picture their faces looking to Jesus for hope. Their eyes fixed on him, hanging on every word. Now, I've never had that kind of an experience with a crowd. But you know who has? Kindergarten teachers. All day long, kids are pressed around them looking for answers. Wondering things like, can I go to the bathroom? How much does a human head weigh? What does migraine mean? And they're always asking, why, why, why? And I bet it was that way with those crowds too. And it's a wonder Jesus didn't ever say, because I said so. (laughs) So Jesus is tired. He wants to bail. And he tells his disciples that he wants to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee is located in a basin 700 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by mountains. And for those, for, of those people who live in that area, they know that violent storms can suddenly happen. Powerful winds come from the southwest, creating huge waves and rough waters. In fact, to this day, it is not safe to park your car on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. There are actually signs in place warning drivers that storms can cause their cars to be engulfed by waves. And this is especially true in the evenings when storms are at their fiercest. And that's exactly when Jesus and his disciples decide to cross to the other side. The text says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boats. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So it's late. And Jesus and the disciples leave Capernaum and they're on their way to the other side when a furious storm hits. People hearing Mark's account of this can't help but recall the story of Jonah, who experienced trouble at sea while sailing from Nineveh and running from God. What's fascinating is that Jonah was also asleep on the boat when the storm hits. And there were people aboard who did not believe in the Lord. So check this out. The the text says, Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he can take notice of us so that we will not perish. People in the ancient world would have also recalled the Exodus where the Israelites experienced trouble crossing the Red Sea while escaping slavery from the hands of the Egyptians. For the Jewish people, the sea represented something unsafe, something scary. The sea symbolized the dark power of evil that threatened to destroy God's creation, God's people, God's purposes. And Mark tells us that storms are raging on the Sea of Galilee. The forces of evil are roused. They're angry. They're threatening to capsize the boats. And the disciples are in a panic, yet Jesus is fast asleep on a pillow. Why? We'll we'll come back to that in a moment. 
If you ask any pastor, they'll likely tell you that their second year of seminary is the worst. That's because you're uh, not far enough in where you can see the end of the light of the tunnel, but you're so far in that if you turn around, you can't see any light either. It's pitch black. And that was certainly true for me. I had quit my high-paying corporate job, sold most of my earthly possessions, rented out my home to another family, and was living with my in-laws. And that was our way of getting me through seminary. Well, that second year was a disaster. It began when my father-in-law had a midlife crisis, and he decided that he did not want to be married anymore. Cue the wind and the rain. When he left, it was devastating. Naturally, my sweet mother-in-law was heartbroken, and so was Amber, who, in a way, lost a second father through divorce. And the kids were so young, they couldn't really understand what was happening. All they knew is that Pop wasn't coming back home anymore. Every night there were tears. I was the shoulder to cry on for everyone. And the burden seemed too heavy to carry. But it only got worse. Our old neighbors called one night to say that our rental home had water flowing out of the front door. While our tenants were out of town, a pipe burst under the sink. The house was flooded. Two inches of water everywhere. Cue the lightning and thunder. We bailed water all night. The insurance company wasn't helpful. The water evacuation company took forever to show up. And I was facing the stark reality that my tenants would move out. Which they did that next week. And as if that wasn't enough, I was taking five classes which is a lot in seminary. I was loaded with readings and papers and exams. But most of all, I was loaded with doubt. Cue the cries for help. Oh God, why in the world did I get myself into this mess? I've totally screwed it up for my family. I have no real job. I'm living with my heartbroken mother-in-law. And there's no way I'll pass these classes. I should have never answered the call to ministry. This was a bad idea. God, where are you? Won't you do something? You know who I sounded like? The disciples. They were in a panic while Jesus was sound asleep. The disciples couldn't believe it. And they're annoyed. Doesn't he care that the boat's about to go under and take us all with it? Well, Mark continues the story, telling us that Jesus got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Be quiet, be still. Jesus is in control. This is evidence of his authority. And authority is a big deal. One translation of this passage says, be silent, be muzzled. Parents, What would you give to have this kind of authority of your angsty teenager? I want an iPhone 10. Be silent. Be muzzled. (laughs) The authority with which Jesus acts is of God himself. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So in this case, Jesus has authority over the demonic forces of nature. They must submit to his will. After rebuking the storm, Jesus rebukes the disciples. 
He said to him, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples' biggest problem wasn't the wind and the waves. It was their lack of faith. And Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat because he has trust in his disciples' seamanship. But to sleep when surrounded by danger is really a sign of trust in God. And the psalmist expresses this in chapter 4, verse 8. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, will make me dwell in safety. Behavior is a big deal here. What we think, how we feel, how we act, all equals our outward behavior. And we see in this story the contrasting behaviors of the disciples and Jesus, revealing their attitudes towards God. Jesus trusts while the disciples panic, which is why Jesus rebukes the disciples. Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? Jesus is drawing our attention to one of the key ideas of this passage. The disciples fail to understand and trust what is happening in the ministry of Jesus. Why don't they believe when they have seen what they have seen and heard what they have heard? And for us today, to believe something or someone, we usually need hard evidence. We say things like, I have to see it to believe it. Well, the disciples see it, yet they still don't believe. Since we're talking about seeing and believing, I thought we could do a little exercise. I'm a visual learner. You know, I I prefer picture books over regular books. Maybe you've kind of picked that up about me. But Amber and I have talked about the practice of Lexio Divina, which is divine reading. Well, today, I'd like us to practice Visio Divina, which is divine viewing. Meditating on an image or a painting can teach us a lot about Scripture. So today, we're going to meditate on a piece called Storm on the Lake of Galilee, which was painted by Rembrandt in 1633. Rembrandt is a master at interpreting biblical stories through art. So let's look at his painting. Notice Rembrandt's use of light. You can almost feel the force of the wind and the chilliness of the water as it crashes into the boat. Look at each man's posture and the the ways that they're responding to danger. If I'm being honest... This mirrors my own coping mechanisms in times of stress. Now, I just want to sit with this for a moment. What do you notice in this painting? Look carefully. There's a fascinating aspect to this painting that's easily missed. If you look closely, there are not 12 men in the boat with Jesus. There's 13. Go ahead and count them. It wasn't unusual for Rembrandt to add himself into a scene. What's remarkable is that he's inviting us to journey with Jesus, to find ourselves in the gospel story, bringing to God our stress and our sin, our hopes and our hurts. The extra character in the scene begs the question, which one are you? Depending on the situation, I locate myself at various places on that boat. 
Sometimes I'm at the mast, pulling on the edge of the sail with all my might in an effort to bring it under control. Or I'm holding on to the ropes against the force of the pounding waves, slowly losing my grip. As a leader, I recognize my tendency to be at the bow of the boat, in the front of the boat, taking on the force of the waves as I use all my strength to actively do something about the problem at hand. At times, I'm the guy in the red shirt barfing over the side of the boat. At other times, I'm in the boat's stern in the back, positioned closer to the just-awakened Jesus. Occasionally, I'm standing with my hand over my forehead, wondering, what are we going to do now? Or I'm shaking Jesus awake to alert him to my needs. Far less frequently than I wish, I'm kneeling quietly at Jesus' feet, trusting him in my storm. Now, without a doubt, storms threaten to sink our faith. And I'm not talking about everyday inconveniences like a flat tire or a hassle at work. I'm talking about the major struggles that cause us to question God's goodness. Things like prolonged illness, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, a broken marriage. And it seems like God is asleep. If God really cared, if he really understood, then surely he would stop this from happening. We pray for healing and relief, for opportunity, for reconciliation, for anything that will make the storm pass. However, the storm is not the point. Now, don't get me wrong. The storm is real, and it is terrifying. The disciples believe they will not survive. But the point is not about surviving the storm. The point is about who is in the boat with them. The disciples weren't sure about that. Verse 41 says, They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Earlier in the passage, the disciples addressed Jesus as teacher. They certainly believed that Jesus knew his stuff. He was a brilliant teacher of theology. But just after witnessing this authority and power over the forces of nature, they're unsure about Jesus' true identity. In a strange way, I'm glad that they weren't sure about Jesus. I think it gives us permission to be on a journey and to learn and to struggle with finding answers. This journey isn't always easy. For the disciples, it took time to come to real faith, to fully trust Jesus. They were a work in progress. And so are we. So who is Jesus? Are you really asking that question? Or are you asking just for the sake of asking? Do you actually seek to find an answer? Do you see it as important? Because if Jesus is true, then it changes everything. Yes, Jesus can calm the storms of our lives, But Jesus didn't just come to calm the storms and give us a comfortable life. He came to defeat death and save souls. Now, I'm not trying to diminish anyone's suffering. Nor would I suggest that you can't cry out to Jesus about the storms in your life. After all, he did get up and calm the storm in the story. 
It's not that Jesus doesn't care about our problems. It's just that our problems aren't going to sink the boat. Storms are frightening, I know. I know what it is to think I cannot survive, that God doesn't care, that death would be preferable. At least it would be over. I know what it is to feel useless and helpless and hopeless. And if that's how you're feeling now, take courage. Jesus doesn't take people out into the middle of the storm for them to drown. He takes people across the sea so they can participate in his work of redemption. We need to keep Jesus in sight. Or as the writer of Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. We need to understand who this is asleep in the boat. The storm is not where you face the enemy. The storm is where you meet God. In the midst of adversity, when we come to the end of our ropes, we see the power of God in our lives. Corey Tenboom was a Dutch watchmaker and a follower of Jesus who witnessed the evil and darkness of World War II. She and her family helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust by hiding them in her closets. For her heroic acts, she was thrown into a German prison. And this is what she had to say. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. How can you really absorb that truth unless you are in a pit deep enough to make you doubt it? You ever witness something that you know you'll never forget? That happened to me a couple of years ago. In the apprentice experience, we do this group practice called laying the altar. When we lay the altar, each person brings an object that represents their recent experience with God and then places it on a table or an altar for us to reflect on throughout the week. People bring all sorts of objects. Some are ordinary as a spatula because they've had this deep connection with Jesus through baking. Other objects are more unusual. While laying, on the, altar, while laying the altar one night, a guy in our group shared about a violent storm that he was weathering. As he told the story, he was holding a small brown paper bag. His story was full of pain and struggle. His eyes were full of tears. And to be honest, so were mine. Then he did something no one expected. He pulled his object out of his paper bag. It was a pile of fake dog poo. We were stunned. Some of us chuckled. Was he serious? Then he said, despite the pain and the struggle and the heartache, he knew that God was right there with him in the storm, in the messiness, in the poop of life. Maybe you can relate to this. It was the most real and raw illustration of the with God life I've ever seen. And it's so true. You can and you will find yourself in the midst of a violent storm. In the midst of the poop of life. But God is right there with you. You do not suffer alone. You can trust him. And I want to come back to that Rembrandt painting just for one more minute. Look at how he placed a haloed glow around the man kneeling 
It's kind of difficult to see from that far away, but there is a, a glow around this man just to the left of Jesus. It's a symbol that he was the one who had faith. I want to be more like him, trusting less in myself and more in Jesus. I want to live like Jesus' presence in my boat is sufficient. At his feet is where I want to be. And look closely at Jesus. He's at peace. How can he have such peace at a time like this? Because Jesus wasn't just in the boat. He was in his father's arms. And he wasn't just in a storm. He was in the kingdom of God. He was at peace in the storm because he trusted the father to care for them no matter what happened. And this is the hidden miracle in the gospel story. And it's why after Jesus calmed the storm, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? On the surface, that's a ridiculous question. The disciples must have looked at each other and said, oh, let's see, why were we so afraid? Oh, that's right, we nearly drowned. And then we discovered that we were sitting right next to the Son of God who has power and authority over nature. And Jesus was being sincere in his question. If they learned to live with him and the Father and the kingdom of the heavens, then they wouldn't have to be afraid, even in a terrible storm. And Jesus was so relaxed that God's peace permeated his body. It was this peace in his body that he spoke into the storm. And by the way, did you see the symbol of the cross of Christ in the middle of this painting? Linger with this masterpiece of this gospel story. And you'll begin to feel the stormy gale blowing against your face. And the enormous waves tossing you up and down, up and down, splashing all over. You'll taste the salt water on your lips. You'll feel the force of the trials of your life that threaten to sink your boat. You'll see yourself in the boat, in the role that you play, in your family, and in your workplace, and in this church. This is how scripture speaks to us. It pictures Jesus in the boat with his disciples, present with us, and concerned for us, even when we can't perceive it. If you go on this journey in the way of Jesus, this will become your story, whether you like it or not. And there will be days where fear comes at us like a tidal wave. How will we respond? 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, I have learned to kiss the wave that slams me into the rock of ages. What he's saying is, winds and storms will come your way, but Jesus wants us to trust that he is near and that you are perfectly safe and secure in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The powers of evil were defeated on the cross and in the empty tomb. And that's something that we'll see clearer and clearer as we journey together towards the cross of Good Friday and the empty tomb of Easter Sunday. I hope you continue this journey with us at Hope Covenant. One last thought that'll tie this all together. Maybe this can be what you think about as you go about your week. 
I'm learning to trust his purpose, not my plan. I'm learning to find refuge in his love, not in trying to control my circumstances. I'm learning to hunger for more of God, not for more of my own comfort or the comfort from others. I'm learning to lean in rather than pull back. I'm learning to hold fast to the hope set before me in the midst of a storm. I'm I'm learning to anchor my soul to the rock of ages. I'm learning to kiss the wave. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we all experience the storms of life, the very real and violent struggles that cause us to doubt and have fear. The wind and the rain pounds our little boats and the waves toss us around until we're literally sick. But we're not alone in this. We're in the boat. When we place our trust in you, there is nothing that can destroy us. Help us to remember that the storms of life aren't supposed to sink us. They're a way for us to come face to face with you and trust that we are safe and secure in your kingdom. Jesus, thank you for your saving love that rescued us from the forces of evil so we could spend eternity in the arms of the Father. Thank you for this church and all that you are doing in us, through us, and around us. And we pray all these things in your mighty and powerful name. Amen.